Uh, I recently posted on LinkedIn saying that I I think that whenever someone messages me, like I want to pick your brains, like I just I just internally say yuck. <laughs>
But I guess what I want to get to is that next chapter isn't ever something static. It's always dynamic. And since we're young, we're always evolving and changing. What you see now is probably completely different to what we're going to be in a year's time, which is what makes it quite exciting. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And I think one thing I'm curious about is how did you guys come together? Because we got, you know, a part-time machine learnist, one that's into stocks and then someone who's working at Canva. You know, it's sort of an odd mix. Um, so how did you guys um, come together and for Next Chapter to become a thing? Uh, yeah, so I can go answer that question. Um, so I think how we came together was very much, I've always been very passionate about the career space and I just had a lot of conversations with Blake over this um, topic as well. Um, and I think during this time, that was when I first Mac met Max as well, which is pretty pretty cool. And I was just kind of tossing up this idea where I felt like there were so many smart, ambitious people who didn't know where to put all the energy in or wasn't getting enough resources to figure out how exactly they wanted to achieve what they um, wanted to uh, achieve, essentially. And so I started talking to them about this idea and how maybe we could provide content to students and young professionals and how they could actually maximize their opportunities and think about this sort of stuff. And it started off uh, with Blake and I. And then um, we recently got Max to join in on the journey. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Right. Okay. Did that take some convincing? Was it like, did you guys have to <laughs> beg Max or was it just, I heard about it and I'm in, like I'm sold? Uh, maybe Max can answer that question. Yeah, for sure. No, it was probably more the other way around. <laughs> right. So I, I'd been following Next Chapter, Y Compass, as it was called at the time, and I was subscribed to the newsletter. And then Blake and Hannah released a notification saying they were looking for someone else to join the team as a third co-founder. And I've always been passionate about sharing everything I'm learning, everything I'm continuing to learn. And I'd actually started to look at doing that on the side through my own website and my own platform. And then I saw the opportunity to do that with Blake and Hannah, who are incredible co-founders through Next Chapter. So I essentially tried to convince Blake and Hannah um, to have me on board. So it was yeah. more me trying to convince them than them trying to convince me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good to hear. And I, I think on that mindset of, you know, um, sort of keeping what you've learned, not to yourself, but trying to help others with it is um, definitely something admirable about that. Um, and so along those lines, um, I think uh, for many people, the application process for any job experience or internship can often be quite um, you know, time consuming and repetitive and even at some points quite tedious, right? Um, so do you think this is a universal experience for everyone or do you guys think that this aspect could be improved like some um, things that we could be doing better or is it just a necessary evil that just comes with it um, and also along those lines what's your like secret competitive edge or something that you guys do to try and improve the process yeah or like stand out from other applicants yeah so yeah Blake you could uh, take the reins on that one first yeah, sure. Um, I think when you're just starting out and you don't have any existing experience or connections, part of it is universal, I think. At some point, you do have to get your hands dirty and fill out those applications. When you don't have anything to offer at the start, it's very difficult to get your network to get your free job. I think being the devil's advocate, these days we see a lot of people on LinkedIn posting and bragging about how they network their ways into jobs without going through the application process and taking shortcuts. But I think there is definitely survivorship bias there that 
you know, those people are still very extremely rare that get those rare opportunities to take shortcuts for their network and get those jobs. I think at the start, it is definitely about numbers game as well. So if you apply for a job and you didn't get it, you got to keep in mind that they're probably looking for one or two applicants out of hundreds or sometimes even thousands for certain roles um, for right. those positions. So uh, at the start, I think it is definitely numbers game. You do want to apply to as many as possible, do as best of a job in, in those in individuals' applications as you can. But I think as you go on, as you start to be more experienced, start to meet more people in the career landscape, you'll start to realize there are definitely ways that you can cut through. But yeah, that's my so take on it. But what are, what are like some tips? Like there's that paradox that in order to apply for something, you need experience. And in order for experience, you need to have, you know, apply for something. So how do people like overcome that if they are just starting out and they have no experience, they're just doing the degree. So how can they overcome that? Yeah. So I think time's really changed. I think things like volunteering, like you guys are at Generation Entrepreneur, that's definitely one of the things that people can start doing uh, because there's a lot of soft skills that you can learn from these roles. I think even a decade ago, uh, that wasn't really the case because university degree weren't as saturated as they are today. Today, there are way too many people going to university compared to the number of jobs that are open. So you really do have to make yourself stand up by doing these extracurriculars or I think something that Max and Hannah should share um, when they get a chance to speak is doing personal projects, like whether um, that's creating a website on something that you're passionate about, or if you're interested in investing like Max, starting your own portfolio and you know documenting your thought process and doing things like that to show, for example, a finance company that you're ready to go beyond and above than everyone else to yeah, get those jobs done. Do you yeah. guys have any other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll build off what Blake said. There's essentially three questions. The first is uh, applications are necessary evil. Second was, I think, any like killer tips or tricks to get through the internship and then how you can get it if you don't have a lot of experience. So I guess I'll take each of them in turn. Yep. Um, so onto the first one. I actually will push back and say, I don't think it's a necessary evil. And I'll reframe that in terms of it's a necessary good. And the reframe I've done for myself is to think that through practicing applications, through practicing behavioral interview questions or technical interview questions, in this, on the technical side, I learn more about finance or whatever I'm applying for. On the behavioral side, I learn firstly more about myself. And secondly, I learn more about how to sell myself or just how to sell things in general. So I actually think the skills you learn in an interview process through going through the process actually really valuable skills um, more broadly. So I guess for me, I've seen the interview process as an opportunity to develop skills. To, and the interview itself is just like the accountability deadline at the end to help motivate me to learn those skills. So that's probably that first question. Yeah. The second thing in terms of any particular tips or tricks, it's quite circumstantial to the job, but I think something that applies quite broadly is the primacy of authenticity. Um, I see a lot of people going for interviews and they sound robotic or they sound scripted or they're, I don't want to say over-prepared, but they've memorized so many different behavioral and technical responses that in the interview, they don't sound authentic. And people can tell, people have like really good bullshit radars. So <laughs> I think it's really crucial that you are authentic and that you are um, your true self or you sound grounded in the way you are coming across. 
So that would be um, to your second question about uh, what I see people do wrong and a tip there. And then the final, to, to your final point about how you can get an internship or get an interview when you don't have a lot of experience. So to, to actually get the interview, so to get past the application to an interview, that's kind of hard. You do need a bit of experience and a bit of signaling factors there. But once you're in the interview, that's when irrespective of the amount of experience you have had, you have a lot more control. And that's when you can sell yourself and the different things you have done. So a reframe I've used in a couple of interviews I've had is that, okay, I may not have three, four, five years experience, but that's partly because I'm in my second year of uni and I'm going up against people who are in fourth year or fifth year uni and have done a law degree and then honours. And then I say, but just because I decided to drop law to pursue things that were more relevant and because I haven't been able to get experience because of that, that shouldn't disadvantage me because what a company should be looking for is someone who can learn, someone who can grow with the company, someone who is ambitious for that stuff. So using that reframe in the interview is a way of selling yourself um, and selling the, selling the fact that you don't have experience, that's more a product of your environment, whereas your personality desire to learn primes you to um, do well. Yeah, uh, I, I really like that, that mindset of um, like reframing it in a positive way as an opportunity to learn and to grow. Um, that is, I think, uh, a very important mindset to have, especially when you're tackling something as like, you know, the job application process, which can be quite, um, I don't know, at times it feels like you're getting nowhere with it. But um, I think if you look at it um, little by little, you know, um, at every stage where, you know, you've got an email back where, you know, you haven't reached the interview stage or, you know, I think the more that you apply, I think you'll see a gradual improvement, um, you know, not only to how you like write up your resume, but also like how and when you apply and um, how you conduct yeah, yourself. In yeah, the interview exactly. As well. Yeah. Um, and so it's just like, uh, like you said, Max, it's just, it's a step-by-step -step process where you're constantly improving. I guess, I guess what you touched upon Max was that, um, things you've learned in your interview skills. So for Blake and Hannah, are there like one personal highlight of like something you did really well in an interview that like stood out to you that, you know, you can advise listeners on that you guys did? Yeah. Um, I might need to have a think about that, but like, do you have something that comes to mind immediately? So something that we did really well in an interview? Yeah, so like, so essentially when I was applying for Generation Entre Entrepreneur, our CEO, Esmond, interviewed me and what well, he stated in, in, in the interview, because I didn't, I didn't prepare because I did not want to sound robotic. I did not want to have memorized scripts that were, um, that I just read off. So I just, I went into it, you know, kind of like a clean slate and just being authentic to myself. And that's something Esmond picked up on. And then he did say in the interview, like, um, your authenticity can is coming through and I remember thinking that uh, like that's a really good point that um, that I can take with me in my future interviews as well so that was a personal highlight of mine do you guys have any personal highlights from any interviews that come to mind if not it's all right like it's pretty on the spot yeah I think on the flip side of that uh preparing a lot and putting a lot of effort into researching the company, the kind of people that they hire and looking at the kinds of path that they've been on to can be very helpful in some interviews. So 
this is an old trick that we share with a lot of our audience, but let's say you're applying for a job at a company, Generation Entrepreneur. Mm. What you can do is you can search for the company on LinkedIn and go to the people section and then start looking at all the people that are already working in that space. And let's say I'm you know, applying for a marketing officer at Generation Entrepreneur and I'd see you guys, Edward and Babe, working at Generation Entrepreneur as marketing yeah. officers. Yeah. I can actually start clicking and looking at your profile and then looking at, okay. So I start seeing a pattern at Generation Entrepreneur that, well, actually at Generation Entrepreneur, regardless of your background, they really celebrate diversity or maybe it's authenticity. Something will stand out when you start doing research in that way. So I think that's always a great way to really prepare. And another thing is, yeah, you can never prepare too much in understanding yourself. So something that Max said when he was giving previous answer about behavioral questions is you do really need to reflect and think about what are my strengths when were some times that I've shown quality or values that the company is after. So yeah, on flip side of you, uh, question vape, I think the interviews that I've done the best in were quite simply and not very excitingly, the ones I did put the most effort and time preparing for. So I think that's a very simple thing that you shouldn't ever get lazy on, no matter how many tricks that you discover about interviews. Mm, that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. Mm-hmm. I mean, extending a turn, it doesn't even have to be within the interview. Like just any any part along your job process. Maybe it was yeah. you met a certain mm-hmm. person that you know actually got you into the job space or yeah. maybe it was a tip from like a teacher or something that you just really... Um, I guess, um, kept with you and that has really helped you along the way. Yeah. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So I think my, uh, not really hesitance or just like uh, being unsure on how to answer this question is more a reflection of me, like past the age of uh, 15, 16, I've, like, I've never actually had to interview for a role just because uh, of a circumstance where I just met people along the journey and they saw kind of like the skills I had yeah. um, that they were willing to confidently offer me a role. Um, I will say probably my last interview was with uh, Canva. So after I did my internship, I took a break from them and they wanted to kind of test out the waters and conduct another interview. Yeah. And I think touching on Blake's point, just on uh, doing research. So I think you can over-prepare an interview in terms of like literally writing a script for every answer. I think that comes across as inauthentic and I don't think that's something you should uh, really try to do. I think what you, you should aim for is to do the research so that you can confidently say things Um say things about yourself that uh, remains true or also uh, say things about the company that you really believe in. For example, with that example of like uh, diversity at Generation Entrepreneur. So for my interview with Canva, what I found was that I was already so immersed in the culture and I'd done so many research, so much research prior that um, everything kind of rolled off the tongue, like uh, in terms of that culture fit and what they were looking for. So I think that is how you want to reach authenticity. It's kind of like you're exploring more about the company. You're saying things that are actually truthful um, rather than following a script. And I think on that other point, uh, with me not necessarily having to do interviews, I, I think um, I think that interviews are great in terms of building up your skills. But I think you want to get to a point where you are networking, reaching out to people enough that people know you and they'll come to you for opportunities um, and I, I think at Next Chapter, we also have this whole uh, saying where like people normally say, oh, it's like uh, not what you know, it's uh, who you know. But to be honest, it, I'd say it's the other way around where it's um, it's not who you know, it's like who knows you um, because that's way more important um, because you might know like so many different people, but if, if, like, 
they don't have an understanding of your track record, your reputation, then they're not going to be able to uh, give you opportunities or willing to. So I, I think that is a very important reframe for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and just like building relationships so people know who you are and what you can offer and your value. Right. Yeah. Um, and actually right on that. Um, so, you know, the, there is that very common saying where, um, you know, the best way to land a job is not through your own means, but connections, right? If you, if you know someone, then you can land a job. Um, so how much of an impact do you think networking and connections play a role in the likelihood of potentially getting a job? And so would you say that, um, like if it increases your odds so much that mm -hmm. should people solely focus on, you know, on networking and getting those connections rather than, you know, learning how to build up a, a good resume and, um, mm -hmm. the other things of importance. Yeah. Just a quick one on this as well. I think something that a lot of people don't realize is the jobs that you see that you can apply for online that are listing and looking for people, uh, that's only tip of the iceberg. So just as a very simple thought process and thought exercise, like let's pretend uh, you guys, uh, Edward and Vape, you guys started mm. your own company together and you guys yeah. need to start hiring people for the jobs that you have open. What would be the first thing that you guys do? It's not gonna be start recruiting for strangers. I almost bet that the first thing you guys do is start looking at your own network and think about, okay, these are the roles that we need fulfilled. Who are the best people that we can trust that can fill these roles? So if that doesn't work, then you'll start asking your close friends to see if they know anyone that they can recommend you, right? And if, even if that doesn't work, then you might start thinking about posting up a job ad to see if there are any strangers who can see the job and apply. So my point is, by the time that you see jobs open around you that are recruiting openly, uh, those roles are probably you know, on the last layer of that funnel of people trying to recruit. So there's what we call a hidden job market where people are actively reaching out to people they know first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a last resort, most people, unless it's um, mass internships that those big firms run, uh, reach out to people for those roles. So I think that's why it's so important. It's, and it's even more important than people realize because they don't see it. Um, when, they, when their friends hire their friends for a job, you don't see it online. Mm -hmm. um, there's yeah. no job ads for that. So, yeah. I think, I think building upon that, how do you, what are some good tips to network then? to get yourself out there to know everyone in the industry or what are some good tips in terms of that? I think uh, before you get in, uh, Max and Hannah might be able to answer that question better for me because before getting my first job, I was actually quite bad at networking. Mm -hmm. But once you're in there, again, I think you just have to think about the position and point of view of the hiring manager. If you're managing a team, like the thing that I tell everyone first before teaching them networking tricks is just, be authentic and be good at your job and work hard because mm -hmm. if you don't have that to go off, doesn't matter how likable you can come off as a person outside work context. If you can't do the job well, uh, that's the first thing that they'll notice about you. So it, it, again, it's a boring tip, but I think it's important that people don't forget those basic things first because mm -hmm. it's not complicated. Just yeah. put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Right. What about you guys, Max and Hannah? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like what Blake said about the importance of still doing really good work. Because if, if, if you think of it, if you think of which of your friends are going to refer you, the friends that are going to refer you are your friends that trust that you would be a good person for that role. And to be a good person for that role, you need to have the right skills or have the right aptitude. Aptitude being more like intangible skills that you have developed. 
So I would even perhaps say that it's more important to have skills than to network. And then the network is how people know that you can translate those skills into a job. So both parts are important. Um, and going to how to perhaps network better or some tips for networking. Yeah. The first thing I would say is perhaps a reframe from networking to relationship building. I think networking sometimes has a bit of a dirty word and it has a bit of a selfish, um, selfish oh, it's sounds transactional. No, yeah. so transactional, yeah, um, I'll say. Yeah. Um, whereas I prefer relationship building. One, because it's a lot more energizing to say to yourself, okay, I'm going to go out and grab coffee with this person because I'm genuinely curious about how this person got to where they are today. And I'm genuinely curious to learn from that person. That's number one. And number two, I, I genuinely just want to meet this person and get to know them. So I think um, probably the number one tip I'd have for networking is not to see it as a transactional networking, but to see it as relationship building. Because one coffee meeting or two coffee meetings is not going to be enough to get you a job. But if you have a relationship with someone and then they follow your work through LinkedIn or through articles or through something else you write and they see evidence that you are a good fit, then they may remember your name and be like, oh, okay, I met this person once and now I've seen their good work. I liked this person because they built a relationship with me rather than try to transact with me. Mm -hmm. So I'll put their name forward. I feel like that's more how it works. The networking isn't going to get you a job, but it will get you an interview or it will get you in front of the right people. And the trick to doing that is to have the relationship. Yeah, I think building upon that, Hannah, you posted recently that you don't like the fact that when people reach out to you, they say, I want to pick your brain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you expand on that further? So how well, how do you go about it then? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so like for context, uh, I recently posted on LinkedIn saying that I, I think that whenever someone messages me, like, I want to pick your brains, like I just I just internally say yuck. <laughs> um, and, and the reason for that is because it seems very transactional. It's like you only want to reach out to me because you want to gain something rather than you want to build a relationship. Um, I, I think the alternate approach is to actually um, look at, for example, if you're reaching out on LinkedIn, look at someone's profile, look at their past history, what are they interested in, maybe like stalk their Twitter for a bit. Um, and the reason why I say this is because that way you can uh, write a message to them that's actually sincere. Um, and like you should be authentic when you're doing this, right? Um, and in doing so, you can just offer something a lot more tailored rather than I want to pick your brains. Um, you can start a conversation on something that is a bit more unique. Like I think most of the times when people reach out to me, it's very much like, oh, how did you get to where you are today? Um, like, why are you doing this? Or like, yeah, like what makes like, yeah, like what do you do day to day? And what you'd actually find is like, maybe if you went to my personal website that you could find all the answers to these questions, mm. or you could look at other people's LinkedIn posts and they'd probably post about it. Um, so I think there are like very easy ways to find this information that people aren't doing. And so when you send a message asking those kinds of questions, it comes across as very lazy, like you haven't mm. done your research and you actually wanna uh, connect with me rather than just get that very shallow baseline mm. kind of understanding. Right, and- I'm gonna jump in and <laughs> play interviewer, even though I'm the interviewee. Yeah. <laughs> what messages have people sent you mm -hmm. uh, that make you think, oh, wow, this person's interesting. I, I appreciate this kind of message. Quote, quote, unquote, yuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, like what are the good messages that people have sent you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah so, the, the, good, the good messages. So I, I think the good messages are when they've like very intentionally looked at uh, like my blog and all that sort of stuff. 
and they're asking questions more about like myself internally rather than like oh what do you do as a product manager or what is your role like at Canva um, I, I think the very like the questions that I hate getting the most are more just about like what was x company like or what do you do in y role whereas all these questions can literally be answered on the internet or something like that yeah um so i think it's when they've done their research like they've clearly shown that or they've clearly seen that they've like looked at some of my work and all that sort of stuff um or if they've been following me for a long time like that's something i also definitely appreciate um so they're like looked at my um posts they're following my posts they're liking them that's like the sort of interactions that I really like because I'm already getting some value out of these people mm. and I just want to meet them past that point. Right, yeah. So it's like, I think it, you want it to go beyond the point of just being treated like, a, mm. I guess, like a test subject, right? Where you're yeah. just only being sort of questioned mm -hmm. for your surface qualities and you want to be known more as like mm -hmm. Hannah the person rather yeah. than ha like Hannah the product, product manager. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I totally get that. And uh, I think the, the the main point that you touched on is I, I think getting to know someone a, a bit more on that personal level. And so actually in regards to that, um, how have you guys' personal experiences been to uncertainty? So, you know, that's obviously a big issue, I think, for I think all humans, <laughs> uh, maybe barring a couple. Um, but, you know, so many people have to deal with um, the uncertainty of choosing between two things. And I know that that's a very real thing for some of you guys. Like, you know, Hannah, you've been stuck between whether I should stick with the job mm -hmm. or continue with my uni degree. And Max, I know for yourself that, you know, you started first year as within UCID law and then you ended up changing to, um, I think you said st statistical maths and finance, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right. Financial mathematics and stats. And stats, right. One yeah. degree, um, yeah. Yeah, right. And so it's obviously a big jump to change from um, one course to the other. I think especially from, you know, when you get into something as prestigious as you said, law, you've obviously worked hard for that. And so I know that for some people it can be even harder to make that decision on the uncertainty um and so how have, how have you guys gone about navigating that i guess within across your own journeys mm -hmm. uh max do you want to answer that or like i'm, I'm cool to answer that yeah, happy for you to go first Hannah. okay, yeah. okay I can jump in. yeah so i i think my whole take on this sort of like question of uncertainty is like i feel like you'll always be uncertain about things in life regardless like that is just natural fact yeah. um and that's just something that i've learned over the past years like i've had so many existential crises of like oh what am i doing with my <laughs> life or like is this the right thing to be doing like oh um and so like i've just gone through a lot of freak outs like that but i think over time i've realized that you don't necessarily need to know the answer in fact uh, a myth that just exists is that adults have everything figured out and they they know what they're doing and all that sort of stuff whereas that's like uh very far from the case mm. um and so what I'd say in terms of that is realize that things aren't binary. Um, like oftentimes, like when you're in high school and when you're like early in your career in university, you, you feel like that you can only go this one pathway and that is that. Mm. Um, whereas I would say the opposite is true. It's like, it's very easy for you to realize, oh, actually things aren't this black and white and I can kind of shift course whenever I want. Uh, for me going 
deciding between whether I wanted to um, work at a job or uh, finish my uni degree, I kind of just realized, hey, uh, I could do both. So, so I actually did both for a period of time. But I realized I preferred working on my job because I felt like I was learning more. And I thought that actually I could go back to university three, four years down the line. I could go back to university when I'm 60, right? Right. Um, yeah. And so things aren't that black and white. And you can actually navigate um, your life and shift course whenever you want. And you are not a failure for doing so. I, I think there is a misconception that exists that you are. But I would say, like, it's totally fine to sit in that uncertainty um, because pretty much everyone goes through that. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's superbly put. Yeah, I would um, probably say two things. The first is that you can take some steps to resolve uncertainty through speaking with others who have been there and done that. The second is that you can never resolve uncertainty completely. And okay. what that means is you need to start becoming comfortable making choices under uncertainty. So I, I know I used to be quite a perfectionist and I used to try and always know 90 to 100% of what there was to know before making a decision. But a mantra I try and live by now is make decisions with 70% information. Because in the real world, when you're making decisions, you're never going to have 100% information. So it's good to try and get into the habit of forcing yourself to make decisions under uncertainty because as Hannah said it's not binary and just because you make one decision doesn't mean that it's going to be irreversible doesn't mean that it's going to be the be all and end all mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think that's a, like a really poignant point that it's not um, as you guys touched on not black or white there's a lot of gray to work with um, but I think something also interesting is that um, so just learning that to work under uncertainty, but there are ways to improve your odds, right? It's not a 50-50 coin flip. Like you said, even working within that 70% still can increase your odds um, and, you know, getting experience from other people. And uh, I think I think also the more that you sort of experience uncertainty, like the more you experience those decisions, I think you sort of get used to it um, and learn to live by it. And so, yeah, um, I think jump in as well. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Um, I think for most high school students and even some university students, a big part of that anxiety of uncertainty actually don't think comes from just the inevitable nature of uncertainty itself, but more like not really understanding what we want because of the noise around us, whether that's pressure being put on by our parents or our friends or our colleagues telling us what we should aim for. I feel like once you genuinely define your own success and I know exactly 10 years from now, I know that for me to think that I'm successful, I know exactly what each hour of my day would look like. That is my dream lifestyle. Once you have that set and you truly know it's your own and not something that your parents are telling you to do or what your friends are saying you should do. I feel like once you have that, you become a lot more, sorry, a lot less uh, resistant to taking risks because you know, you know where you're heading. The pathway might not be unclear, but you have that north star where you want to be. But if you don't have that and your parents are telling you constantly, oh, you should study this or you should become this role, and you just try to you know, integrate that into your own system of success, then you're going to be super anxious and uncertain because a part of you know that even if you get there, you're not going to be all that happy and it's not what you genuinely want and that you're missing out a part of life that you actually do want. So 
yeah, I think that's important for you to understand for high school mm-hmm. students, especially. Yeah, I think that's a, that's actually a super huge point just because, um, I know that our parents' inputs actually, I think for most students, like take up more than 50% of like what we consider, um, you know, the subjects that we study, what course we should try and aim for in uni. Um, and so that's a super interesting take that I really haven't heard too much to the degree that, you know, that your dream is to be so autonomous that you can have every hour almost planned out. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's a super unique take, uh, at least for myself. Um, the one thing that I just extend, not as a counterpoint, but I just, as further to the discussion, like, um, so would you say that it would be ideal for most people to try and remove that noise, say from friends and parents? Because I know that at least for a lot of, um, my friends actually a part of their core identity is what their parents say, because, you know, they felt like that their parents have sacrificed so much that, um, you know, that they, I guess, in a sense, owe them, um, a part of who they are. Um, and so would you say that that is like, not, not incorrect, but, um, would you try and direct them your way or so like, like what about that would you have to say? Yeah, I think for this question, it's difficult because obviously everyone's in different circumstances and I Mm. can't speak for everyone and it's a very personal value-based thing. So I don't think there is right or wrong answer, Mm. but what I do want to put out there is that, you know, you do just have one life to live your own life like this. So if you think in like 80 years time, when you're looking back saying, oh, I actually regret listening to my parents so much. Um, Mm. Or if you on the flip side would say, oh, I regret not you know, being nicer to my parents and spending time with them. I think that's um, everyone to their own. But my personal take is that if you live to make other people happy, even if that's your parents, you're going to be, you know, like, that's just not going to work out. You're never going to have the opportunity to live your own life because mm-hmm. your parents hopefully are going to be around you for a long time. And after that, you've got your own family to take care of and worry as well. So I think there are lots of different ways to take care of and respect your parents without going down the career path that they want you to go down. Um, I think you should definitely take information from your friends and parents who are genuinely giving you advice out of goodwill, but you shouldn't. Yeah. I personally don't believe that you should make the final decision based on anyone else's um, input because yeah, it is your career at the end of the day. And even though when you're in high school and you're in year 12, it feels like if you don't take the university course that your parents are forcing you to take, it's like end of the world. You're going to like disappoint them forever. But Mm. once you leave high school and you start to understand the world a bit more, you know, that's not the case. There are many other ways that you can make your parents happy and proud without listening to them in terms of university degree choices. So yeah, I would take the words with a grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd, I'd totally agree with that. Cause like you said, at the end of the day, one life and, um, you know, we ought to make the best of it. And I think for the, for most people, I think it'd be safe to say that, you know, we'd want to be living through our own lives, right? Not vicariously through our parents or our friends. At the end of the day, we want to be making the decisions ourselves. And that I think in a sense that what helps is that when you make decisions that you regret yourself, there's still like a little bit of sense of pride that can be with that because you at least made that decision for For yourself, yourself, right? Um, Yeah, and because I know it's an ugly thing, but if it's through other people, you can often change that into blame. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's something that I'd 100% agree with. I think, yeah, before we uh, kind of finish up and wrap up, one thing I want to change course just a bit to what we touched on before was how can someone really grow their LinkedIn connections um, in terms of connecting with strangers on LinkedIn or people who you think might remember, you remember, but they might not remember you. What is the right way of connecting with people that you would want to connect with on LinkedIn? Yeah. Um, I think I might just uh, give my thoughts on this first. Um, I, I think this whole thing on like reaching out to people on LinkedIn. Yeah. So I think like at its crux, like the quality of your connections matter the most. But I think if you want to, um, reach out to a lot of people and stand out. Um, I would actually say personal projects are a really great way in doing that um, in the sense of like, oh, if you like start a podcast, like what we're doing here mm-hmm. and you're interested in say data science, then maybe you could do a thing where every fortnight you're reaching out to a lead, uh, leading data scientist in Australia and you have a reason to have a conversation with them and you're getting insights from them. So I, I think that's like one tactic you can uh, go ahead with. Uh, like uh, another way is to just find people on LinkedIn, make a list of people that you are genuinely interested in, follow them after like uh, maybe a few weeks. Like if they post on LinkedIn, just like like their posts, comment on them, interact with this person because then you're adding like some small value to them. Mm. Um, but they're like noticing your name or they're seeing you um, pop up. And at that point, like just shoot them a message, shoot them something personalized, not like, oh, I want to pick your brains or like, <laughs> oh, like, oh, like, thanks for connecting with me. I'd love to learn more about your journey. Like that is just very generic. So you want to do something that is more tailored and personalized. And then from that point, build a, uh, build a relationship. So it's like maybe at first you ask for a 15 minute uh, call with them. Uh, not like too much of their time because like sometimes you're reaching to uh, really busy people and they just, they just don't have time to message back and all that. So just make it really easy for them to connect with you. And then from that point, send them articles or things that are interesting um, for them to read, like summarize it for them. Um, so then they can see the immediate value that you're adding to them and that you have similar interests or all that sort of stuff and try engaging with them through that. That's that's what I would recommend. What about you guys? Not much to add there from my front. I think Hannah summed it up really nicely. And if I was to flag anything, Hannah said it would be that quality matters over quantity mm-hmm. and that doing personal projects that your LinkedIn connections can then see um, is valuable. And it goes back to that quote Hannah said at the start, which is, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Mm, And doing personal projects and sharing them with LinkedIn provides a vehicle for people to know you and see what you're doing and how you could end up adding value to their company or their their initiative. Mm, I think... One thing that I hear a lot from high school students and early level university students, uh, okay, these guys have told me, start your own personal project, start writing about a field that you're an expert in and start posting that on LinkedIn. And they go, I don't know anything yet. So how can I get started once I'm, well, I'm still in high school while I'm still in university and I don't know anything. Uh, I think for that one big advantage that you have that experienced people don't have is that you can tell your story about undergoing that journey of from not knowing anything, maybe you can write about the very first internship you had and write about all the things that you're learning and then sharing that with your fellow students. Maybe you just got your first interview stage, doesn't even have to be a full job and you share your knowledge and how you prepared on that. So I think really the exercise of reflecting and documenting your process of learning 
is something that any student can write about and share that actually provides value to other students. So that, yeah, I think if people are struggling for an idea to how to start or what to make their first LinkedIn post on, I think documenting your learning journey is a very good one that anyone can do. And lastly, I just want to put it out that even if you do everything that we've just said perfectly, it's still a lockup draw in a sense by the end of the get by the end of the day. So even if you've done everything that Hannah just outlined perfectly, that doesn't mean your chance of connecting with someone goes from 1% to 100%. In reality, probably just goes from somewhere like 1% to maybe 10, 20%. Because at the end of the day, you're still reaching out to a complete stranger. The chance of you getting you know, warm reply from them, especially if they're a very busy person who gets these sorts of messages all the time, it's not going to be very high. So just because you didn't hear back from them the first time doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. I think consistency is a key as well. So maybe you need to do this whole process 10, 20 times, and then maybe one or two people respond. That's still a lot better than having to do it a hundred times and then maybe one person responding. So yeah, I'd say consistency is the key and don't get too hurt when someone goes to you because I, I don't know, I've had that first couple of times when I first started reaching out to people on LinkedIn. Yeah. It can be quite discouraging and make you go, okay, you know what? I'm just doing it all wrong. People just don't like me. I'm never going to reach out to anyone ever again. But just, yeah, understand that, you know, maybe even if you do everything right, one out of five to 10 people respond to you. That's so true. I remember when I first got LinkedIn, I was just adding a bunch of people that I thought may knew me or just wanted to connect. And I got zero response. I got zero reactions. <laughs> it was very, it was very heartbreaking. But that's very good tips that I can probably use now. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's like actually quite a beautiful note to end on. Just that you know, um, your failures don't define you as a person, um, and that you know, being consistent in that that um, you know to keep applying, even though it may be hard. Um, and you know, as Max touched on the the positive reframing using sort of that growth mindset and seeing it as an opportunity to learn step by step, mm. I think is a great way to go about it. And so, yeah, that's about sums up episode two of our podcast. And we would like to deeply thank Blake, Hannah, and Max for taking time out of their very busy days to give us insight into proving how to tackle career and internship opportunities. So I'm signing off now. I'm Edward. And I'm Babe. And this was The, the Entrepreneurial, Entrepreneurial Mindset. Mindset. Thanks, you guys. See you guys.